1: By law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Millions of Americans are traveling for the holiday season, many for the first time since the COVID crisis. But if you're traveling while Black, COVID restrictions and racism can complicate the choice between taking your dream trip now or cooling your jets.
2: What you have to do as a Black traveler is push off that microaggression and push through so that you can still enjoy your experience.
1: Traveling while Black during the COVID era, coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Traveling is a top activity during the holiday season, either to see your family and loved ones or to get away from them. And many of us who put our travel plans on hold during the COVID lockdown are more than ready to dust off our passports. But a new COVID variant and lingering concerns about the pandemic are making travel a tougher road. For more on how to make your holiday travel safe, fun, and even culturally appropriate, we're joined by Davy Sutton. She's a veteran lifestyle journalist and travel expert who has been featured on networks including CNN and NBC. And Davy Sutton joins us now. Welcome to a word. Good morning, Davy.
2: Hi, Jason.
1: How close are we right now to pre-pandemic travel conditions? Like how close are we to normal, Davey, you know, in this next month ending 2021?
2: Well, we've been a bit on a roller coaster, but there was one big X factor that made Americans kind of feel a little more comfortable while traveling during the pandemic. And you can probably guess that. And that is the vaccine. So me personally, I travel professionally. It's my job. But. During 2020, I did not feel comfortable traveling and I did take a trip towards the end, but it was a domestic trip where I drove and I weighed all kind of like the possibilities and I went to a beach and I got a beach house. So I knew I'd be isolated and not around people much. And then, you know, with technology these days, you get your food sent to the house. So I felt pretty safe considering all those circumstances. But in the spring of 2021, I talked a lot about what we were calling in the travel industry revenge travel travel it was when you go in lockdown and then people are so eager to spend and then they kind of overspend and do a bunch of yolo moments and there was a increase of demand and supply wasn't up to par you know we still are having supply chain issues which was a part of the, the effect of the travel industry as well but you know like people couldn't find rental cars because a lot of the rental car agencies sold off their fleets and they couldn't, you know, catch up to demand. So there was a a whole bunch of uh, factors that made the supply not meet the demand. And so prices increased. And then the revenge part is that people were still willing to pay those higher prices. So for a good amount of 2021, there weren't travel deals, there weren't those bargains that you can find pre pandemic. So then we get into the fall. And then we started to see some sales and places that started to open back up to Americans like in Europe, and there were some bargains to be had there in the fall. And then now, you know, there's that new variant that is kind of making people hesitant, making people kind of close borders or talk about closing borders again. So it's been a bit of a roller coaster.
1: What kind of challenges have you had over the last year, even as a travel expert?
2: Travel during the pandemic in 2020 really came to a standstill. And it wasn't just travelers not being able to travel because I had a trip to Ghana. I was going to Ghana like (laughs) I didn't get to go like everybody else went in 2019. And I was finally going to go to Ghana. And I had to cancel that trip and a couple of other trips. And I actually was coming back in March 2020 from my last trip which was to the Dominican Republic and I was headed to New York to do one of the shows I appear on and then the producing team called me and were like never mind, don't come and that was the day when there was that big outbreak in New Rochelle, New York that was the day but I didn't know I was in the Dominican Republic kind of like switching gears and heading to a New York studio and behind the scenes I didn't know that they were you know, freaking out saying like hey, nobody should come at this point so you know I was on the cusp of that and experiencing that personally as well. But, you know, it's been one of those things where it hasn't recovered and then it recovered in a way where it hasn't been easy. So I've been telling people, yeah, you can travel, but it is not comfortable traveling right now. There are a lot of regulations and logistics and protocols that lead up to where you're going to, if, especially if you're not taking a domestic trip, if you're traveling abroad. And those rules change all the time. And that list of new processes make the lines slower, the queues are slower and longer. So you definitely have to pack your patience when you travel. And you have to keep in mind that from the time you get to the airport, to basically when you land inside of the room of your destination, you have to wear a mask. That is part of travel right now. So, you know, there was a shift in 9-11 to traveling, which, you know, some countries have released, but the US has not released the the idea that you don't need to take off your shoes going through security. That should probably be updated. But I think we have to accept now that there are things that it takes to travel right now. And I think that's going to be around for a while, including wearing the mask.
1: When it comes to what we're dealing with in COVID now, you know, speak to the safe and less safe ways to travel. Like, you know, are Ubers okay if we're dealing with a new variant? Is taking the train okay? Is taking a flight okay? What are the sort of travel methods that are least dangerous for COVID and perhaps the most dangerous for COVID right now?
2: Because of the new variant, I don't know anymore, but I always follow the guidelines that are laid out by the CDC. So um, I will start from, like, I often get the question of, like, should I take an airplane with my children? So first, I always establish whenever I'm talking about this is that travel right now is a personal decision. So you have to take all of the consequences and you know everything in play in your personal life in order to make that decision. If you are a solo person and you're mostly by yourself and you're not around somebody who is unvaccinated or you're not around children, or you're not gonna be around somebody who has a compromised immune system, then you might be willing to take a bigger risk. So that is the first thing you need to consider. And then going back to like, should you travel on an airplane with your children? The CDC says to treat unvaccinated children as unvaccinated people. So you have to treat them the same. And so then you, you know, the following advice would be like, if you have unvaccinated kids, you might not want to take an airplane. So though we take our mask off, there is that moment when the food cart comes by and you have a sip of water or Sprite and eat your Biscoff cookies and your mask might be down at the same time as that neighbor that you don't know just because you're on the airplane. And the airplane is a confined space. And we do know that the HEPA filters and all, you know, it has the best air that we could possibly have in that time and space. And there is low risk on airplanes. But these are the things that you need to consider when traveling these days. By far the best method, the most safe method is traveling by car. That's where we are right now. And with the variant, yeah, we don't know how that changes things. And so again, you got to take that, you know, risk into your own personal decision if you decide to take a journey right now.
1: We're going to take a short break. We come back more on traveling during the COVID crisis. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. This is Jason Johnson, host of A Word, Slate's podcast about race and politics and everything else. I want to take a moment to welcome our new listeners. If you've discovered a word and like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know what you think by writing us at a word at slate.com. Thank you.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail.
1: You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about traveling during the COVID crisis with travel expert Davey Sutton. Okay, Davey, this is where we're going to do like the Animaniacs travel around the world game. I'm going to ask you about region by region travel. So, we'll start with Asia. If you're an American and you want to go to Vietnam, South Korea, Thailand, Japan, what are some of the complications that you may face as an American Trying to travel to different countries in Asia because all you know, every region of the world is handling COVID differently.
2: The biggest complications by far what you're gonna face is that the rules to entry change at the last minute. So, for example, there may be a country that may require you to be vaccinated to enter, but also have to take a COVID test upon entry, and then you may have to take a test right after you arrive, upon arrival, and they might want you to take a test before 72 hours, but then at the last minute, they might change it to 48 hours. So if you've taken it three days before, then it would be expired and you might have to take it again. I personally experienced that and had to pay $200 the day of to take a rapid PCR test. So it can cost you more. If you still want to take that journey. I do also have travel insurance. So I could have abandoned that trip and delayed it a day and probably been covered. But I didn't want to kind of shift my schedule once upon arrival to be a day late. So I just sucked it up and paid $200 because the rules changed for that destination. So that's probably the biggest challenge that you're going to experience. You're at the mercy of what is happening in real time. And again, it is not comfortable to travel right now. It is not. Even though we are feeling more comfortable traveling, because we might be vaccinated. And we might still be doing our, you know, due diligence, I still, you know, pack the wipes and the hand sanitizer. And I'm still trying to keep your distance, although that's Virtually impossible at the airport and on the airplane, but I still try my best. I'm still very cautious and not to be in too big of crowds, but we do get comfortable and we might make a new friend and then we just take our masks off because you're vaccinated. Yeah, I'm vaccinated. And then, you know, we get a little more comfortable, but the overall process, the journey is not comfortable right now and you have to be flexible. And that is the biggest advice that I give to people is you have to be flexible.
1: I have a number of friends who over the last year have certainly in 2021 been able to go to Africa and they've gone to Kenya and they've gone to Ghana and they've gone to South Africa and what they have told me is that because of Ebola that certain countries on the continent are actually really good with COVID and that they have track and trace and things like that so if you can go to different parts of Africa is that a place where accommodations and management of COVID have become so normalized because of other pandemics that it might be a comfortable place to go?
2: Yeah, that is what is going on in, in Africa. And when we talk about the new variant, that's why news organizations are trying to be very careful in saying that the scientist in South Africa discovered this new variant and had enough information to put it out to the world for the ongoing pandemic that is going on, not that the variant came out of South Africa.
1: So now we're gonna to go to Europe. What is travel to Europe like? And if you get there, let's say you decide that you wanna to go to Italy, is intra-country travel or inter-country travel between European countries, is that still very, very complicated under COVID?
2: No. Because one thing that the European Union has is this app that I have, and it's the anti-COVID app. Okay. And... It has your information on there if you're vaccinated. And this is specific to my experience in France, which I lived seven weeks this year. But they have this QR code that has makes it super easy to move about and people feel comfortable to go into any situation, a restaurant, an event, anything public. You must scan it and they must scan you. It is part of the government. It is a legal thing. And you can move throughout Europe with the same kind of QR code. So that is what's going on there. And it was such a simple process to do that I was just daydreaming. I was like, man, I wish that, you know, the US would implement this, but the US has states. So <laughs> the way our federal government operates, it, it will never be kind of a unanimous thing. But New York City has it something similar. They have the Excelsior Pass, which is a, a similar kind of thing, a QR code that lets you enter into public spaces and events. So that's what's going on in Europe. But when you travel to a destination anyways, I recommend that you go to that tourism board's website, and they will have their COVID guidelines right there on the front page. You won't have to search for it. There will be a link. You can; It will be easy to find for almost every single destination, both domestically here in the U.S. and internationally. So that is one of the first steps you should do before even booking travel. See what's going on in that country. Also, you can go to our U.S. State Department's website, and there are links to you know what the us says about a country and you can kind of like weigh that personally as well because there are sometimes politics involved of how they rank a country's risk level so then you go to that country's website and see what's going on so what is happening now is i think pre-pandemic you know americans have a very privileged passport and i did a video talking about our passport privilege because about 60% of Americans don't have a passport. And it's super cheap, relatively speaking, because about $110 for 10 years of access to almost the entire world. So that means that visa free upon entry, we can go to different countries. And that's why we have that privilege. We could just whimsically go to places not so much anymore and more responsibility is on you the traveler to do research before you arrive at places and there are are stories that kind of get buried in the bottom of the newspaper pages of americans landing in a place and being turned around or landing in a place and being stuck or landing in a place and not realizing they have to quarantine and it costing them so much money
1: We're going to take a short break. We come back more on traveling while black during the pandemic with Davey Sutton. This is a word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about traveling while black during the pandemic with Davey Sutton. What kinds of experiences have you had, even during this pandemic, right? Of, you know, are there places that you would say, hey, are slightly more friendly to black Americans, you know, or or some places that may be slightly more hostile to just black people? Have you noticed that changing? And what kind of countries have you had those experiences in during the pandemic?
2: Oh, 100%. One of the most eye-opening things when I first started traveling internationally was being identified as the American girl. And in 2006, I worked in London for a year. And, you know, you meet friends when you work in a place and they would say, I'd like you to meet the American girl. And I remember just feeling a way of like, I don't know, like awakening or like, oh, uh, happiness it blossomed a little. They don't identify Americans by their ethnicity. And that was the first time I heard it. And that was freeing. That's maybe the word that I felt. And it felt better to be abroad because no one identified me by my ethnicity. They just identified me as the American girl. But definitely I have felt even being someone invited by a country to film a show there, microaggressions and full-on aggressions by being Black. What you have to do as a Black traveler is push off that microaggression and push through so that you can still enjoy your experience. So something might happen, uh, a microaggression or a full-on aggression, <laughs> and you have to deal with it. And we mentally have to establish with ourselves to get over it quickly and enjoy this space that we are trying to enjoy and this experience. So I definitely go through that, whether I'm invited by a place and the actual host of the place, you know, there had been situations where people on my crew who were white had to speak up because they were astounded that somebody, why are you being so aggressive with her? Or why are you treating her like this way? And when that happens, a sense of like almost like a exhale and almost tears coming to my eyes when i 'm dealing with it no tears you're fighting, but when someone else lets you relax, then you kind of like <sighs> Uh, you know, like I can breathe. And so I've had a number of situations, countless. So that happens all over the world. And some places are better than others. And I think when you go to Africa, you're with Africans. And for the most part, is a positive experience. And that's another revelation that I've had as a traveler, realizing that I spent my whole life in a place that I wasn't a part of.
1: Just tell us a little bit about how you got into where you are now, like, how did you start off in journalism? And when did you take that big leap into sort of travel and lifestyle journalism?
2: Most of my career was spent in sports. So I was a sports anchor and reporter. And then for about four years, I hosted a lifestyle and entertainment show. And that's where I got my taste in this world of like, oh, you could do this for fun. I went back to sports for a little bit. But at that time, I also had learned about entrepreneurial journalism, And I learned that from Soledad O'Brien, who was a bit of a a mentor at the time. And of course, around that time, when I was in Charlotte, she announced her production company. And of course, her journey is different because she's a celebrity journalist, but it got me to start researching, hey, I didn't know this was a thing. I knew about freelancers, but I didn't know about like, having your own company in that way and did some research. And I Started to see like the packages, the stories that were on like PBS NewsHour were all done by independent people and they had these contracts and they would do it for years. So anyways, that's where the seed was planted to make the pivot in what I call my career. Now, I often push back when people say, hey, you're so lucky you have a dream job because I created this. I am still a black person, even though I had experience, I won a couple of Emmys I still had to prove myself to people and still am creating space for myself and proving people that I know how to do this. And I like doing adventurous things. I love jumping off cliffs, swimming in the ocean, doing all these things that people just think middle-aged white men like to do. And I'm still kind of pushing through these barriers of creating space for myself. So if there is a young person listening, it doesn't matter what level you've gotten in your career, if you want it, you have to be in charge of pushing through and creating it. And there are so many tools these days that people have, so many outlets that people have, you are in control of doing something good, and then creating a following. So you don't need to depend on on these big networks which i still love but that is not the only way in these days in fact um, i heard katie couric talk about never working for a network again because she realized that brands will pay her way more and she gets to do whatever she wants so there is so many paths to living the dream that you want and nothing is ever handed to you, especially if you're a person of color, Especially, even if you've been in that space and they've known you, waiting around for somebody to come and pick you was not an option for me. Otherwise, I would still be waiting. So I created this space for me. And that's the biggest story I would say about my journey.
1: I want to make sure we close with this. If people want to follow you, if people just say, hey, I want Davey Sutton to be my guide to these countries, what's the best way for people to follow you and support what you're doing?
2: Yeah, so the best way is at Davey Sutton on all social media, because I do a bunch of different things. I usually will just kind of advertise, here's where you can find the latest thing that I've done, or here's my latest advice on social media. So you can find it on D-A-Y-V-E-E-S-U-T-T-O-N.
1: Davey Sutton is a veteran travel reporter. You can follow her on Instagram, YouTube, everywhere. Catch her on TV. Davey, happy travels. It's great talking to you.
2: Thank you, Jason.
1: And that's a word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Jasmine Ellis. Asha Saluja is the managing producer of podcasts at Slate. Gabriel Roth is Slate's Editorial Director for Audio. Alicia Montgomery is the Executive Producer of Podcasts at Slate. June Thomas is Senior Managing Producer of the Slate Podcast Network. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for Word. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger.